just like every week I start this show with some statement of shock that the Pirates are still, well, winning. I mean, <laughs> we keep expecting them to fall back and, and they keep winning series and staying firmly in the competitive ranks. I mean, funny thing is, I can't even say it's because the entire team's overachieving. If that were the case, it would be far easier to predict total collapse back to earth. Instead, they somehow leave you feeling like, hey, these guys could actually be underachieving. I mean, the team certainly does. I mean, they certainly agree. The flurry of moves that just happened this week show that. So, I mean, we're going to touch on those moves, obviously, as we talk. But first of all, I should welcome you back to the fan forum on DK Sports Radio. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. And uh, let's get right to my guests this week that are going to help me make sense of this wacky team. And uh, you, you have to say they're at the very least exceeding expectations, don't you? So first up, anybody who's listened to the show, very familiar with my first guest, Graves. She's back and she's graciously taken some time from her vacation to jump on with me here. That is dedication, folks. Graves, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. It's great to be back with you this week. And, uh, Let's go Bucks! All right. And next up, a new friend of mine. Um, he's been a coach in high school and college, and soon he'll be hosting a sports talk show on 1031 KVE out of Southwestern PA. He is Mr. Ed Jenkins. Ed, welcome to the show. Say hello, my friend. Hello, everybody, and thanks for having me, Gary. I'm excited to talk sports with other Pirate fans. Uh, raise it, right? We had a great win today. Yeah. And last but certainly not least, uh, you know him from 93.7 The Fan and KDKA TV2 Sports Desk. He's probably put up with your questions before on the nightly sports call. Um, if you're like me, he's a frequent guest on BuccoCast with the late, great Jason Rollison. And uh, that's where I came to love the guy. Um, all of that and what he'd want you to know most probably is that he's a new daddy. So please welcome to the show, Josh Taylor, everyone. Gary, it's good to finally be on the airways with you to talk. I know we've done a lot of uh, we've done a lot of conversation with social media, but it's good to actually talk to you here with a, a normal conversation, so to speak. It's it's nice to talk to you without having to wait on hold on ninety three seven as well. <laughs> so- <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> so I thought a good place for us to start today would be discussing the forty man a bit. Um, roster construction in MLB is confusing. And if you ask me, they want it that way. I think the more confusing it is, the less questions you'll ask, you know? Um, but fans often ask why this player isn't up here. He's better than this guy. I mean, the truth is most of the time this could be answered in some way by explaining the 40 man and options and other contractual items like that. Um, bottom line, the best players don't always end up on the 26 man together. So, so Josh, I'm going to start with you. When I see a player like Yahure pitch, yes, he's better than Cahill. So why doesn't he get the spot? Because they had better long-term plans for a guy like Yahure. It's pretty simple, really. Trevor Cahill is not expected to be here in 2022. He's not expected to be here in 2023. Matter of fact, he may not even be expected to be here in September, if we want to be totally honest about it. So Trevor Cahill's here for the interim because he's expected to maybe fetch something back in the long term. If, if Trevor Cahill pitches well and someone says, hey, he might be a, a useful arm, you might need a 13th or 14th guy in the bullpen come, come postseason time. Maybe someone will 
be willing to unload a, a prospect for Trevor Cahill. That's really the basis for having a guy like that in your rotation. Trevor Cahill is not here to try to help this team win a bunch of games. He's not here to, you know, fill a spot in the rotation that was missing a guy. He's pretty much here because they need five guys who can take the ball every fifth day to go out and pitch. So they or can get four, the rest as of the, the case may be, depending, or four, on, depending, on, depending on their crazy moves they make. Right. Yeah, if, I, I get what you're saying. If you want Cahill's to go with probably, Royals in the mid-90s. And Cahill's probably picking on low-hanging fruit, too. I mean, exactly. You know, exactly. You look, you look at another player like, um, you know, Jared Oliva, a lot of people, and now he's injured, but Jared Oliva was a guy that a lot of people were like, hey, how could he possibly be worse than Fowler and Alford? You know, you try to explain that stuff with, with the 40 man, and he has, he's on that. He has options. They don't. <laughs> I, I mean, at some point when you're building a baseball team, does that not matter? I mean, I think it has to be when the window's wide open is when well, that doesn't matter, right? Well, well, Gary, you didn't even count the taxi squad and the, the alternate location and, like, just the, the COVID situation makes it even more complicated. Yeah, well, that's because I don't understand clouds. the taxi squad. <laughs> I don't think anybody understands the taxi squad. I mean, Graves and I were just talking this morning about the, the, the taxi squad. We had no idea you could add somebody mid-trip. Then here yeah. they did. Yep. So Graves, yeah, that's a perfect lead in for you because you're my roster wizard. So, I mean, <laughs> how do you explain this to people when they have questions like that? Well, and I think Oliva is, is the perfect example. I mean, him and Tucker, you know, were sent off to some uh, mysterious developmental skills uh, program that I, I had never heard of before either. So make it um, sound like uh, Avengers training there. <laughs> yeah. So obviously they wanted to, you know, work on something, you know, build some power, um, work, work with him and Tucker. And, and um, I mean, other than, than the option scenario and, and things that you've already talked about, um, he's just not quite ready. You know, we thought uh, Fowler might, might be able to offer something. Alford, um, Goodwin's still hanging out down there. Um, this year is all about, it's not about wins and losses. It's all about growth and development. And, and if, if we can have somebody else, you know, hanging in there, filling the spot, I, I'm fine with all of the being down um, in special training or at the alternative side or whatever the case may be, um, just to, to, to work and to build and to grow and into the player that, that we all expect them to be. So I'm, I'm, I'm patient. I, um, and I'm not I'm not willing to to rush anybody until until they're ready because right now the pirates are not ready to win. Um, as the season goes on, I expect them to get better, but I want I want to see and and not put the pressure on somebody like Oliva to come up and have to be that star, that superstar, and just kind of let him be relaxed, let him develop, let him grow, and when he's ready. We'll let him. Uh, we'll let him come up and see what he can do. Yeah, I mean, and all of us a case where, yeah, he really does have some work to do. He, nobody's clamoring for him right now. Todd Frazier, right. up until today, was one of those guys that I did hear a lot of people clamoring for. I personally, you know, didn't care. Phil Evans filled that role. Right. So, so Ed, you know, turning to you, you look at this roster. Right now, I feel like they've pretty much addressed most of those situations, except for in the starting rotation. 
really. That's the only place they have to pull from. I mean, how do you explain the roster development to people? I'll be honest with you. And I'm with Graves. When it comes to Oliver, I, I think that he needs some time. I think that there's a great opportunity now that they're not looking at winning a bunch of games to, to develop him. The, the surprise for me was Cole Tucker, uh, not making the major league roster um, on opening day. And so for me, I thought that, you know, there was an opportunity there for a guy who got a lot of time last year on the major league level to continue to grow, to continue to develop at the major league level by play, playing some quality games um, at that level. But um, he didn't make it. And so, so be it, but I really like the, the middle infield. I like Kevin Newman. I like Frazier. Um, I like what, what's going on with the current major league roster. Um, the outfield to me is the area where I see uh, opportunities for people on the roster. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I know Polanco is our right fielder, but um, I think there's opportunities for other guys to maybe get some time there. Um, I mean, technically speaking right now, they have two outfielders on their active roster, which ought to scare a lot of people, you know, I mean, and granted Phil Evans did okay today, but that's not a long-term solution. I I mean, it really isn't. Neither is Polanco. Obviously he, you know, he's got a shelf life too at this point. I don't know how I don't know how to to explain to people why Will Crow isn't a better option than um, trying to use some combination of Underwood, Poppin, and um, whoever else they pick to fill that fifth day. That to me that that seems short sighted. I thought Will Crow showed something this spring, and he has options, and he's on the forty. So I'm kind of out of excuses for why he doesn't make the team. Yahuri, I understand. Really, really high ceiling on that kid. Really has some work to do to get where he wants to get. And it's all about fastball placement. If he can get to that point, yeah, get him up here. He's got the most developed off-speed stuff in the entire system. I, I mean, I absolutely think he's an upgrade right now over two or three starters. And But, but he could be an upgrade over every single one of them if you develop him right. So I get holding off on him, but Will Crow, he's probably pretty close to where he's going to be at this point. He just needs experience. I don't see what we're saving by keeping him down. Josh, does that make any sense to you? It, it makes absolute sense to me because there's, I don't think people really understand how for the larger part, how player development works. There are certain benchmarks that they want players to hit. It's not just statistical, whether or not a guy is just ripping up the league or how old he is. You know, if you're at 23, you're not expected to be, you know, in AAA or called up to the majors. It's not how it works. They expect you to hit certain benchmarks as far as what you're supposed to do, the process you're supposed to take and things of that ilk. And I think you're right. I think with Crow, it does come down to, you know, once you hit a certain point of development, you start doing those things that they're expecting, you're checking them off. After a certain point, you pretty much are what you are, regardless of what your age is, regardless of what level you are. You know, when you start certain doing a certain level of things or a certain pers- uh, certain skill set of things, I guess you can say, and you start doing it repeatedly over and over again, and it becomes that routine, you pretty much are what you are. You can make subtle tweaks here and there, but for the most part, as far as development goes, that's what he's going to be. So I, I agree with that assessment of having him up with the big team, because I think if nothing else, I think you're right, because he's a guy that, you're not going to put him in and expect him to to 
help you win 15 to 20 extra games. Right. You're putting him in for the specific purpose of him getting his feet wet. You're, you're making him Peyton Manning in 1999 for all intents and purposes. You want to send him in there, just get kicked around. So that way when the next full season comes around, when spring training comes in, you know he has his hands on a spot and he can actually hit the ground running. Come April yeah. 20th. You want him to get in basically what you hoped Mitch Keller got out of 2020, exactly. which was getting his feet under him, getting that, that intro to major league taken care of so that he was ready to hit the ground running this year. Now it didn't work out that way. Although, you know what, we're four starts in. I mean, it's a little early to have hit the panic button already anyway on him, but I mean, I think that was coupled with how terrible he looked in spring. I mean, he just looked like he was spraying the ball everywhere and that's not a good look for a pitcher that kind of has to have some kind of semblance of control. Um, Regardless. One way I look at it with with pro, he's going to get his opportunities to start this year. You know, it's a long season. He's he's going to get his turn. But I still want to see what we have in Oviedo, what we have in Dwayne Underwood Jr. and 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 even even Poppin. Um, if if we give up on Oviedo, he's a Rule Five draft guy. Um, do we really want to take the chance of losing him? Same with Dwayne Underwood Jr. He's out of options. Do we yeah. really want to, to lose him too? They, they both have pitched well. I want to give them an opportunity to see, okay, can they, can they pitch three or four innings or, or, or what, what, to what point can they, can they go? So I'm okay with leaving Crow down. And, and, and letting him continue to develop and stretch out. And, and because eventually he, he's going to get to start too. And, and, he'll, and, and we'll be able to see, see what he can do. But I, I don't want to take the chance of losing Oviedo or, I mean, we've got, I've got a list of players that are, that are out of options. I don't, I don't right. see anybody that I can look at and say, ah, oh, they, they need to go. Pro needs I, to I think that's why I question it right now, because I don't think they had to lose anybody to have Crow up here. All they had to do was not call up Hartley instead. True. So to me, you, you lost a starter. Here's an opportunity for a spot start for a kid that right. you've been trying to shove into the bullpen. You want to stretch him out, let him be stretched out, put him in, let him pitch for Cole's spot. Mm-hmm. And, and if it's one start, it's one start. You send him back down. He's got options. You've already used it. Right. Big deal. I, to me, it's it's a perfect opportunity to get a bona fide starting prospect a start. And I I don't necessarily like skipping the opportunity there. And I and mm-hmm. I, if if it was a choice of oh you're going to have to lose Underwood to do it, yeah, I'm right with you. But I just don't think it came down to that. So yeah. I question that. And, and what you brought up, too, actually kind of puts a weird spin on this, and I'll throw this out to the whole group. Have you ever seen a baseball team with three roll five picks on it? It's Cause unusual. Because that's what's going to happen this year, and yeah. I, I don't know how they handle that. I mean, you're looking at this right now. This bullpen is performing well. I mean, mm-hmm. very well. We're talking like top five in the league well. And you know you got Soriano coming at some point and you're going to have to find a spot for him. You've got this Tom guy, which I suppose they could treat him just like Alfred and Fowler. If, if he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. 
if he does work out, you'll be more than happy to lose whatever you have to lose to keep him. Right. You know, but three roll fives is aggressive. Yeah. I've never seen that. And, I, and I'm really curious how they're going to handle it. Of course, I, one of them could be birdie and be on injured reserve the rest of the game. You know, who knows? That's true. You know, but, and that's one thing I, I like about Ben Charrington. He's not afraid. You know, if we have three rule five guys on the roster, then, hey, so be it. If if we have to, you know, DFA this guy, so be it. I mean, I, I, I mentioned it last time. The competition's not over. And, and I think yeah. that's really in, important, you know. Just because you made the team out of spring training doesn't mean you're going to be here, you know, at, at the end. And, and Ben, ben has, has really impressed me. And to where he, he, he's not afraid. If, if you're not performing, he'll, he'll let you go. Yeah, and, and the so, other side of that too is how many, how many times did they say they're going to use like 27 pitchers or something this year? They planned on using 27 right? pitchers. I mean, Ed, you hear something like that, you know, you're going to see some gymnastics with the roster, right? They're going to have to do something special to make that happen. And I think we just saw how they're going to do that with, you know, an owl on my shoulder from from a struggling starting pitcher right mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely um and I, I i don't mind it i honestly i'd like to see some of these guys get an opportunity um to get a spot start here and there you know you talk about pro uh let's see what he has you know give him the ball and let him uh, go out and improve his worth um and i think with the state of the the franchise right now and the way this ball club is constructed that's the goal it looks like to me that's what management wants to do is give these guys an opportunity to prove themselves find out if the cream rises to the top um, and then start to, to construct a true major league roster um, for the next couple of seasons. I, I like, I like the philosophy. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you, Josh, I know you've been, you've been around this market covering this team for a long time, right? So I'm going to throw this at you because I think you're going to handle this question real well. Do you think the pirates themselves, the way they're playing, they're making a lot of these questions important when they wouldn't have been before. I mean, it's because they're playing well that we actually care about what they're doing with some of these players, right? I think it's part of it. I think part of it's the fact that they're playing well and, and you can make the case, and I made this case this past Sunday morning on 93.7 Fan, you can make the case part of the reason why they're playing so well is because I don't think the NL Central Division is the NL Central Division we're familiar with. Yeah. This is not the Cubs, Cardinals, and Reds not only being division contenders but postseason contenders. You look at the division right now, I'm trying to figure out who the best team of the division is. It might be Milwaukee, but it all depends on Yelich's back. It, it, it does Yelich get back. Do they have enough pitching? We know they've got a couple really good relievers in David Williams and Josh Hader. We know they've got a couple really good starters, but what about in the middle? What, what about everything else in between? We know the offense is good, but Lorenzo Kane's been hurt. You have no Yelich. You have those kind of holes there. They got to fill in at least temporarily, if not long-term. So there's questions with Milwaukee. There's questions with the, with the Cardinals. When's the last time we questioned the Cardinals having enough pitching? Absolutely. When's the last time oh, that yeah. happened? It, it's, it's such a weird dynamic. And I think part of it is that's what's making this team look so much better because it does have that 97 NL Central feel of, wow, this division's really bad. And someone's going to have to not fall 
and be on their feet last to win this thing. So, so that kind of factors. Who's into Jermaine it. Allensworth then on this team? Ooh, <laughs> that's a great question. Because a, a good candidate to be Jermaine Allensworth just got DF8 and Alford. He might have been the best shot at being that guy. It's true. I, I, I will say this much too, and it, this kind of goes to the discussion of possibly using 27 pitchers, and this kind of works into it also. On an average year, you're probably going to see between 20 and 25 pitchers used anyway, depending on injuries, guys yeah. getting called up. Things go crazy in a major league season. There's 162 mm-hmm. games, and just about anything can happen. Yeah. We're talking six months out of the year here between spring and when the leaves start coming down. So everything possible can go around. But bringing it back around to the the main point here, it does look like this team is performing better because I think you mentioned how good the bullpen is, and yeah. that's why they're winning some of these games. Because if they're able to get a lead, maybe in the middle or towards the end of the game. They can go to the same two or three guys, and those yeah. guys aren't giving the game back. And that's something that I don't think a lot of us expected, and that kind of works into it also. Even if they just hang tight right, um, and get into the other team's bullpen, you start opening some opportunities for yourself. And that's what I, I wrote in my season preview was uh, I think the bullpen is going to make them look professional this year. I, I think mm-hmm. that's what I've seen is professional. I wouldn't say they look outstanding. Um, there's obviously some deficiencies. We have had zero contributions from our backup catcher, um, yeah. our center fielders, you know, our right fielder has given next to nothing, you know, um, Kevin Newman, when he's in has been a ghost, um, you know, today he started showing some signs of, of coming back a little bit, but yeah, I, I honestly think they leave you wanting more because when you look at it, they could do better. And maybe some of these shuffling of the, the chairs on the Titanic here weren't just shuffling chairs on the Titanic. You know, right. maybe, they, maybe they really think getting Todd Frazier's bat up here is a good call. We'll see. I think, I think that pretty much covers the roster as deep as I'd like to get into it right now, because uh, Graves knows I could probably talk about the roster for two hours and nobody would ever listen ever again. So with that, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about this. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we are back, and uh, it is clear the Pirates are doing better than expected. But the game plan is the plan, right? I mean, I mean, this team has to sell to keep it going and continue to stockpile prospects, right? I mean, Ed, let's start with you here. I would be uncomfortable, especially as this new regime tries to establish credibility, but the right thing to do is to keep going, right? Is it? I mean... I would ask the question, does past behavior predict future behavior? Um, and the other question I was asked is, when, when, when does that stop? When do we hit the sweet spot in this roster where we're, we're satisfied? Is it when they're contenders? Um, we've seen in the past where they've been contenders and they've sold. So 
for me, the question is, uh, what is it? What does the ideal roster look like? You know, and are we looking to just sell and stockpile talent, or are we looking to build a team on the field right now that's gonna, you know, get us over the ninety win mark, let's say, for example, and, and get us into postseason contention and and try to make a run at something. So for me, I want to see the break in pass behavior. Um, I want to see the break in selling off talent to try to, you know, manage the salary cap and to try to save a couple of bucks. I want to see us bring in players that are young, that are hungry, develop them, and let us go win a pennant. Let us go compete for something that we haven't seen here in a very long time. That's fair. I mean, now, when you say you want to see that, do you want to see that so that something is proven to you? Or is it more, it's just time for that based on what you're seeing on the roster? I think it needs to be proven for sure. I think that, you know, the guys that are on the roster right now, some of these younger guys have to, you know, they have to step up and play above their potential or play to their potential and show that they're everyday major league players. And I think that there are those guys currently on this roster. I think it's going to take some time. I, I think some of these young guys, if we get Brian back, um, it makes the, the lineup stronger. You can start to move other parts around in the lineup. And I, I like what we're seeing. I like the guys. None of us expected uh, these guys to perform at the level they're currently performing. Now it's a long year. Um, you know, we've got a lot of baseball left, like Josh said. But at the same time, too, you know, you take it day by day. and You can only evaluate these guys on what they're doing day in and day out. Uh, and I like what I see. I mean, you should like what you see. We already split our World Series with San Diego. So we're, <laughs> we're in good shape, right? I mean, so Graves, I know... I know you're on board with what Ben's doing, but is there a point when, when the team is performing well enough that you're just like, yeah, not right now, bud. Yeah, it's true. You know, I, I don't want to force the, force the issue. I I guess maybe is the way, the way to say it. I'm content on this process trusting the process and and it taking a few years um you know the the overachieving i mean it's fun it's great um and i and i love it It, it's exciting but that's not the 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 final part of the process um we need we're still evaluating we're still you know needing to see who we have, what we have, what they can do. And it's not, to me, it's not about getting the number one draft pick. I, I don't care about that. I think there's, it's very tough to be the worst team in yeah, baseball. There's too much chatter about that in general. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so that, that's not my focus. The focus is growth and development. And, and, and I'm willing to, to ride that out and, and to see, um, you know, what comes of that. You know, I mean, Kevin Newman was fantastic in spring training. I mean, he he was he was hitting the ball well. The season starts and that's all gone away. Anthony Alford had a great spring. The season started. That all went away. So there's right. there's so much um, that the players can do. So I'm I'm not ready to uh, to close the book and say, okay, we're ready to go out and and, yeah. and win this or to compete. There, there's a lot of work to be done and, and we've got to be patient and we've got to understand that uh, this isn't going to happen overnight, you know, I um, and, and, I, and I would say, and especially, the process. 
especially when it's players like Eric Gonzalez, for instance, last three games, he's had, um, you know, a, a pretty clutch RBI base hit to, to give the pirates a, a very needed run. And I appreciate right. that. And I, I love that yeah. he's been a project for the last few years, but we're coming to the end of that project. Yeah. There, at yeah. the very least, what you have to understand, it, it, this touches back to the roster thing and Josh, I'm going to throw it back to you here after this, but you have to understand that at some point it's about the control of the player. So mm-hmm. Eric Gonzalez is a great story. I'm happy he's doing well. If, if they want to extend him and make him their bench piece for the next 10 years, I'm fine with that. If he wants a million bucks a year or 2 million a year to, to be a right. permanent Pittsburgh pirate. But the reality is that's not what's going to happen. He, he's yeah. going to be made a decision on this year. They're going to decide this year he either gets traded or he is going to play out his contract or whatever. They're going to make that decision this year. They're going to make that decision on Adam Frazier this year. They're going to make that decision on Colin Moran this year. Yeah. That, that stuff is not avoidable. So when we start talking about like, don't trade guys or trade guys or it, that matters. Colin Moran doing well matters because Colin Moran could bring back a lot of nice pieces if he's hitting like this, but that would be a very painful trade. For, yeah. for a fan base that's already hurt. And Josh, you hear from that hurt fan base frequently. The painful trade part is the thing that people don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. But you try to explain to people that sometimes the painful trade is necessary and it just it, it becomes an even more bitter pill to swallow. This is why when Graves said what she said about Ben Charrington, I started nodding my head furiously because I don't think people really understand Ben Charrington's history. Ben Charrington was an assistant in a front office that back in 2004 traded the face of their franchise and the city went insane. Not just the city of Boston. All of New England lost their minds when they traded Nomar Garcia Parra at the trade deadline. Right. And that team brought in the guy that they needed. They brought in another shortstop that they needed. They wanted the defensive upgrade. They knew they needed other pieces. They put that team together and won a World Series in 2004. But people think that's where the story ends with how it was in Boston. The truth of the matter is after the 2005 season, now they get swept in the first round of the playoffs in 2005. Peter Epstein says, look, we got this group of guys in the minors that was based around six straight years of draft picks. Mandy Del Carmen in 2000, Kevin Euclid in 01, John Lester in 02, Papelbon in 03, Dustin Pejoria in 04, and Jacoby Ellsbury in 05. He said, we got this whole group of kids in the minors. If we take our lumps in 06, we could be a championship team in 07. And they fought him on this. This is mm-hmm. a guy whose contract is getting ready to expire. Theo Epstein got so frustrated, his contract expired. And for six weeks, he was not the GM of the Red Sox. You know who ran the team in the interim? Ben Cherry right. was running the team while Theo yep. Epstein was gone. Him and Jed Hoyer, who's now with Theo Epstein in Chicago. Well, was in Theo Epstein in Chicago, but Theo Epstein's gone. But that's beside the point. Because he got mad again because he couldn't do it. Exactly. Because he, yeah, right. he got frustrated again in Chicago. <laughs> and, and the list goes on and on. My point is this Ben Charrington literally, from when they won a World Series in 04, helped this roster strip down in 2006 to where they were 11 games out. In 2007, they won a World Series. Then they stripped the roster down again to where I want to say 2010, they were in last place. 2011, they won a World Series. They stripped yeah. the roster down again. In 2013, they went. They stripped it down again. I want to say they were in last place in 2016. 2018, right. they went. And in that year, you had guys like 
Betts and Bogarts and Benatendi and pretty much any athlete with the last name with the letter B was playing on that team and helping them win games. Yeah, right. But this is what he did over and over again. So when Graves talks about that she likes what Ben Charrington is doing, I'm agreeing with it. And the fact of the matter is people here think they're impatient with it. He's done this three or four times over for a much better organization and it's worked. I know people hate to hear that because, and yeah. I thought Ed had a great point about past, past behavior, predicting future behavior, because if you, the truth of the matter is you don't know what's going to happen, but right. we know there's a blueprint for the teams that have been successful in the yeah. past decade and a half. And they've all followed the same blueprint. We can talk about money and how much it costs as much as we want to. We can talk about that, but the truth of the matter is they've all done the same thing and the results are there, but you have to have that foundation in place first. Right. And I mean, this, you can't try to sell everything else without the foundation. in place. There, there's times too, where, you know, we talk about this team wasn't really well set up when Charrington came in. Right. So right. I, mean, I think that's, wasn't. but I think, I, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't. I think well, there, I should say it, it was set up well, but I think the pieces that it was, that were, it was built around maybe weren't as reliable as we thought they were. Is that fair? Absolutely true. And and you're talking, you're referring to like, you know, your Josh Bells and your, your Starling Martes and and Polancas and things like that. I I completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I was going with it is he was, he was set up in certain ways. For instance, having Colin Moran sitting there as a ready-made replacement that you can move Josh Bell, an asset that I truthfully don't, think is ever going to reattain what he got in 2019 i just don't i agree on that i I feel he tinkers too much and i don't think anybody can really get through to him except for his dad and he wants him to tinker so i just uh tinkerbell forever i mean that's what he's going to be and i I feel terrible i hope somebody gets through to him because that kid's got raw power that's just frightening but colin moran was an upgrade always was going to be an upgrade there i'm sorry that was a great trade, regardless of getting Eddie Yeen and Will Crow back. He needed to go. We don't have a DH. Right. I mean, so sorry. I mean, and that stunk, and, and a lot of people were really upset about it. Getting rid of Tyon, you know, it, it's sad. I thought he had great potential, but I've been waiting for Tyon to show up for 11 years, yeah. you know, and, and it's not his fault that he gets hurt, but at some point, come on, we've done it. We're not going to re-sign this guy. If he if he does do well, he only had two years of control left. You weren't going to hold on to him because the Pirates can't pay star pitchers. That's why <laughs> they have to draft them. You know, <laughs> it's it's reality of building a baseball team like this. So, yeah, it's going to stink when the Pirates decide some point this season they're going to trade Tyler Anderson, who they discovered basically <laughs> – and, and they, they resurrected him and pulled him out of the depths of San Francisco and Colorado and those home run ballparks and, and brought him to PNC where he's doing well. Yeah. At some point they're going to trade him and it's going to upset people. And I, and I, you know, Adam Frazier's hitting over 300 leading off doing really, really well. Great things. Nobody's really ever said anything bad about Adam Frazier. It's not that we don't want him. It's that they need to decide this year. Okay, we've tried to have middle infielders come up and supplant this guy. We have wanted it to happen. Cole Tucker that you brought up, Ed. I wasn't shocked at all that Cole Tucker didn't make the team because Cole Tucker can't hit. And that's just it. Maybe he will. Maybe they'll get through to him. But right now, he can't hit. 
And yeah, no, to your point, I want to throw this at you real quick. A lot of times when we're talking player development and you hear about scouts and GMs talking about guys with some players, especially guys that have pedigree like Cole Tucker that might be on the cusp of whether they, they come up or they stay down. It does come down to one question and it's a three word question. Can he hit? Yeah. That's what a lot of coaches and coaches and managers and GMs and scouts want to know. Can he hit? And Cole Tucker hasn't proven it to your point. Yeah. yeah. Just like people yelling at me about O'Neill Cruz, not playing, uh, right field yet i'm like it doesn't matter if he doesn't hit it doesn't matter mm-hmm. where they play him right now he can he can stand at shortstop all he wants if he isn't going to step up and make contact and take good at bats he's not going to play here yeah so you know chill on that and worry about whether he hits or not if, if he hits he'll play they'll find a place look at philip evans right now mm-hmm. philip evans hitting he's playing and when he yep. cools off he won't that's just all there is to it. And you know why he won't and Polanco will? Because at the end of the day, Polanco <laughs> Polanco with one swing of a bat can change the game a lot more often than, than anybody else they can run out there. Yeah. It stinks, but it's the truth. I mean, all in all, when I when I when I think about certain pieces getting moved i i kind of predict them almost like you know i know one of them's coming i know we're not going to survive this season with both colin moran and adam frazier and i don't want to blow all my extension money on them when i know i've got hayes and i know i'm gonna have priester and i know i might have malone and maybe you hurry and mm-hmm. you, you can only extend so many players on a team like this and, and if you want to really build the way that Ben's trying to build, he wants a good bank of prospects to back up a very good major league team so that when he eventually has to do this again, which he will, and it won't be because Bob's cheap. It'll be because <laughs> it'll be because no owner could come in here and fix baseball's problem. So Gary, it stinks. Have is, um, you know, Moran has a good year. They get ready to unload them. You know, Anderson, Frazier, the same maybe. Is there, a, is there a price to success? You know, I mean, that's the question I have with you. You, you, you ask the question, what if this team overachieves? It's kind of a catch-22. Like, we want to win baseball games, right? Yep. We want to play well, right? Yes. Um, but is there a penalty for, for that success? If they get fooled by it, yes, there is. Because – you want to get to the world series, right? Like that dropped ball was really cute. I enjoyed it. Uh, that game was awesome. I, I was in the stands. It was loud. I loved it. Best environment I've, I've personally ever experienced in baseball. I'm 44. I'm right on the cusp of actually living through a championship. Okay. <laughs> I, I have never seen it. And yeah, that, that was insane, but I want more. I want it all. I want to win it all. I don't want to die in the wild card. I don't want to just barely get in. I want to win divisions. I want to win World Series championships. And to do that, you cannot just continue to build on a foundation of sand, which is what I feel they would do if they stopped short here. Mm-hmm. So I think you hold yeah. on to the guys that you think are going to be an impact player, like Reynolds and mm-hmm. you know, Hayes and maybe Keller. And, and, you know, maybe you start dipping into some of those pitchers that you're seeing. But for the most part, almost everybody on this team won't be here whenever this window opens. 
That's right. just the truth. And nor yeah, should they be. I don't want to go back to the days of uh, Neil Huntington, you know, and, and, oh, hey, we're really good. Let's just hold on to these guys. You know, we're the, you know, we're, we, we can do something here. I, I want to build something. I want to know that and, and, and feel good about the team that we're putting out there every day. And, and we're, we're not there yet. And, and if anybody knows me, I was a big Josh Bell fan, but I understood trading him. You know, um, and 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 I I wish him nothing but the best. But I but I understood, and 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 those are those are tough decisions that the GM has to make. And 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 Collar Moran moving from from third base to first base, he looks so much more comfortable. He's he he was kind of a, a statue over there at third base, and like, oh God, please don't hit the ball to me. Please don't hit the ball to me. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna screw this up. And he That's- seems so much more comfortable at first base, and 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 uh, his footwork is 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 good. It's much better than Josh Bell's at first base. So, I, I I'm a big believer in being able to play relaxed, play relaxed, have fun, go out there and do what you've done for most of your life, and and, and just enjoy it. See, that was the Pirates biggest contribution to, to helping us all recover from COVID because they knew we were short of breath, some of us out here, and they didn't want us to hold our breath anymore when the ball got hit to the right side. So they yes. went ahead and moved Josh Bell. <laughs> they did. No, it, it, I mean, it's been refreshing watching him play over there and, and his approach to play. And it's just a reality that they need to make a decision on him. So, yeah. and I like to put it that way, instead of, oh, they have to trade this guy. I don't think they have to trade him, but I look at the system right now. I actually think Colin Moran would be a really good extension piece because we don't have any first baseman coming besides Mason Martin. That's years from now. Right. I mean, despite seeing him hit a 500 foot home run and and breaking the Ferris wheel in Altoona, I it's going to be a while before he gets here. That kid that you think Polanco strikes out. Wait till you watch him. Gary, I got a question, and this is it's it's not necessarily rhetorical, but it kind of is rhetorical, and this is for you and for for you and the rest of you guys and everybody that's listening. When's the last time we saw this organization have a first baseman that we were like, "Hey, we believe in this guy." Yeah, like every facet of this guy's game, we actually believe in. I had to go back and think about it. <laughs> it might be Kevin Young. That might be the guy. That might yeah. be the last first baseman. We're like, we actually like this guy's game, and he's okay. He's our first baseman. We're cool with it. And a lot well, of people will probably complain about yeah. Kevin Young. It's it, probably Kevin Young or Jeff King, right. really. It's probably Jeff King. Now, here's the crazy part about Colin Moran because I still hear people saying, "Oh, Colin Moran isn't any good." I'm like, "Well, if you want, if you don't think Colin Moran is good, wrap your mind around this. Colin Moran right now might be the manifestation of all the horror stories of Pedro Alvarez and Josh Bell wrapped into the same movie, but yeah. the hero actually survives this movie, right? <laughs> yeah, it's weird, but it's actually true." Pedro Alvarez was a third baseman who started out not being able to throw. Well, I should say started out because he could throw before and catch at third base. Mm-hmm. Then sooner or later, he stopped being able to throw. Then you move him for first base and he stopped being able to catch. And then yeah. at the plate, he stopped being able to hit anything other than right-handers with no one on base and two outs. Right. And everybody wondered what happened to him. Then right. you have Josh Bell outside of maybe two months in 2019. People go, what happened to this guy? Not only did he start getting worse at the plate, he got worse in the field, and yep. the rebound never came. He's yep. in Washington, and to Gary's point, Gary's right. He's in Washington, and that rebound still has not come yet. 
with right. the Nationals. I've watched a few Nationals games. That rebound's not there. You can make the case that they've gotten more out of Colin Moran right now at first base than they could ever expect out of or actually get to expect out of Pedro Alvarez and Josh Bell at first base combined. But that tells you just what this organization has looked like in the last 10 years. Even yeah. despite all the success that we've seen making the postseason three times in a row, going to the uh, NLDS and losing in five games to the Cardinals. Even despite all that, there are still some significant things that this organization has not had stability at first base, stability in the starting pitching being among them, uh, even some stability at shortstop. These are other organ- these are things that other organizations they just assume and they just know and they just have. And yeah. these are other things that other teams that win championships or start to put strings of championships together they just know, they just assume, and they just have. And I think that's the one thing we kind of ignore because we are so focused on the end game, we forget the process and how it gets there. Like we're so, we're so eager to get there. We're like, wait, 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 you got to turn here. You got to turn there. Sometimes you still got to look at Google maps to find out where your destination is and how long it's going to take. It just doesn't assume that you're, you know, this isn't, this is a Harry Potter. You can't just operate there. You can't get beamed up like on Star Trek. Everyone tends to jump right to 2013 and forget 2011 and 12. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's definitely a process and I'm willing to to play it out. I just know there's going to be some painful moments and I just, I think it's it's important to, for people to just when you're watching the team, think of everything through the prism of decisions. Everything is a decision. You want to cut Alfred? Okay, it's a decision. You're cutting some depth. You're potentially you're potentially going to lose him. Are you okay with that? Maybe you are because you've watched him strike out twenty times. Okay, the last scout that evaluated a baseball player on you know 30, 30 at bats probably got fired. <laughs> so i mean you you really do have to give people time that said you can't just have a position that is a gaping hole in, right. in the major leagues and if you're going to lose one or both of them so be it and he brought in a safety net to make sure that they had somebody right so this tom guy will be up here at some point absolutely and, yeah he's fowler 2.0 if you ask me but yeah he he, he has he hasn't done much uh you know, but, uh, you know, when I first saw that, that he had been DFA'd, I'm like, okay, hey, let, let, let me check him out. And, and, and yeah, he, he, he's had a tough start to the season, but Eckstein, you know, knew him uh, when, when Tom was at Kentucky. And I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of familiarity and relationships. And, and, and uh, you know, Alfred and, and Fowler didn't work out. Let's give Tom a try and 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 see what's see what happens. Right. You know. And, and I'll end this segment by saying one simple thing: DFA does not necessarily mean you are not part of the organization anymore. It means yeah. that they want to send you to AAA, but they have to give every other team a chance to take you. That's exactly. all. Yeah. I, I thought Michael Lewis described it best in Moneyball. He said pretty much it's like baseball purgatory and you can't pray your way out. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So on that happy note, let's go ahead and take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll discuss um, one of my favorite players. week the pirates had 
a very significant player, retired, Neil Walker. I mean, he was part of the group that brought the Pirates back to relevancy. And, you know, I'll get into some thoughts on Walker myself later, but um, I thought I would just give you guys an opportunity to say something about him and comment a little bit about whether this team we're watching right now reminds us of 2011 and 12. Ed, would you like to go first this time? Yeah, I mean, I think Neil was uh, Neil had a great career. Uh, he's obviously somebody. It's a hometown guy that uh, you know done good. He two sixty seven average, I think, over his career, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but what stands out to me about Neil was the way he played the game every day. You know, here's a guy that was drafted as a catcher, right? Um, he came in and he was asked to play a couple of three different positions throughout his career, at least here in Pittsburgh. And I think he did it with grace. I think he did it with a good attitude and went about it yeah. every night. And so. You know, I thought he was a great player. And, and what stood out to me about Neil's career is that he, he was a timely hitter. You know, he he had a very good percentage with runners on base and runners in scoring position. He was that guy that when he came to the plate and clutch situations, you were you were excited about it. And so um, I enjoyed it. I hope he has a great retirement. Um, rumor has it he has opportunities possibly within the Pirates organization. And mm-hmm. I'd like to see him stay connected, if, quite frankly. That would be a pretty smooth move on their part, if you ask me. Yeah. So, Graves, how about you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I mean, if if, uh, if he can join the coaching staff or uh, even even at the the minor league level, I, I would I would love to see uh, Neil continue uh, with this organization. I think he was a great representative, great re- representative of the city, and 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 because of that, you know, fan, fans love him and. Uh, I, I think it's it's a good opportunity. I saw a little bit, you know, maybe he would uh, like to join the broadcast booth. Hey, I'm, I'm all for that, too. I, I think he would be a, a great ambassador to the team, great ambassador to the city, and and uh, whatever he feels he can provide, I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. He's got a chance to be modern-day Steve Blass. You know, yeah, yeah. The city really, really embraces him and connects with, with the ball club and um, it's actually brought back to some relative success. You know, I like, I like what Kevin Young did in the booth. I like even what Matt Caps is. I think Matt Caps is great in the booth. Yeah, absolutely. But um, they they didn't win here. You know, it's nice to, and and I'm not saying that the Neil's team got it over the edge either, but they got us a hell of a lot closer than we've been. So it wouldn't be bad to have him as an ambassador. No. Josh, you've probably talked to the guy before. I, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it because I, I know you guys have pretty much looked at it from more of an external perspective. I, I, I'm looking yeah. at Neil Walker's career right now from a media perspective, just the time frame that I've spent working in this market, both before I left Pittsburgh in 2012 and then came back in 2014. And the thing that stands out to me is I, I think of three guys that on a day-to-day basis, when I'm in the locker room at Steelers or in the locker room at Penguins or in the clubhouse at PNC Park covering Pirates, I can think of three guys that every day, whether there was a game or there was just practice or just media availability, these three guys were always available. They always talked after games. They always held themselves and their teammates accountable for what, for what happened. Those three guys, and during the course of just my career, just my experience, those three guys are Sidney Crosby, Cam Hayward, and Neil Walker. Those guys, every single night, win, lose, close game, blowout, didn't matter. We'd be waiting around 
to see when Neil Walker was going to get to his locker. And when he got there, sometimes he'd apologize. Sorry, it took so long, guys. I had to go see the trainer. He actually apologized for making his way because he knew the responsibility that he had to not only represent his organization, but also represent the city. He knew the mantle that he wore. Just like Cam Hayward understands the mantle that he wears. And Sidney Crosby understands the mantle that he wears. Neil Walker wore that mantle for an entire city, for an entire region during the time frame that he played here. And I think that's something that a lot of people look at what he did on the field as the representation of that. For me, it was just his ability to be one of those guys that stood and faced the music every single night, whether it was a recorder, a microphone, or a camera. He was there to make sure everybody knew that he was going to stand and represent this organization. And I thought he did it. I thought Ed used the perfect word with grace. He did it with a lot of class. He did it with a ton, a ton of humility. Absolutely. In every way he did it. And, you know, I said it on Twitter. He, he was one of the true professionals and there, there aren't many that you can point to. There's a lot of people who play sports professionally, but there's a few true pros. And over the course of my career, Neil Walker is one of the guys that I've identified as a true pro. Wow. Those are pretty strong words. And, you know, I, I know a little bit just, you know, I live up in the North Hills. So, um, you know, like my brother-in-law played with him in high school. So I know, I know, you know, from seeing him around and whatnot, but um, I know that every event the Pirates did in the tri-state area, Neil had to go to. And I don't think people understood the, the extra tax that he paid to play here. And, and the extra weight he bared every single game to, to like be Pittsburgh. And I, he, he actually said something on the broadcast the other day that hit me a little bit. He said it wasn't until they got to that wild card game and he, he stood in that dugout and he looked around at everybody else in that dugout and he said, this is how this city can be. Wow. I mean, I'm getting choked up right now. I wish I wasn't such a sissy about baseball, but – I mean, <laughs> I mean that those kind of moments, you have to have a guy like that, and that's what he was. And you know, maybe David Bednar is the next one. We'll see. It's nice having a guy from Pittsburgh on the team. I think it it does help to connect the city. And um, yeah. as the team itself doesn't do a good job of that most of the time. Although I do think Travis Williams is trying to do some some pretty cool things, but. Um, mm-hmm. We'll see how that goes. As far as the parallel to 2011, 2012, how do you feel about that? I, I think we're right near that same area because we're we're staring down the barrel at our next Garrett Cole, you know, which is probably like Quinn Priester, right? You got your your tie on coming, which is maybe Keller, you know. So you, you got a couple pieces on the way, and, and you got a couple top prospects, like perhaps like a um gonzalez comes up and he's he's your cutch type you know that's the centerpiece offensive player hayes could even fit into that category i mean you're starting to, to see some of the pieces the longer term pieces the ones we don't have to worry about making a decision on start to take shape and it kind of feels like it's it's actually starting to to put down a base now i mean i think you're starting to feel like they're getting their sea legs a little bit and I don't mean like because their record's okay this year. I just mean, in general, the organization looks stronger. Any thoughts on that, Ed? Uh, yeah. I mean, you look at that 2011 team, they had three All-Stars. Um, I think McCutcheon, Hanrahan, and Correa all made the All-Star roster that year. Um, 
And I thought that they, you know, played pretty well throughout the year. The, the, the thing that I hope we don't duplicate um, from that 2011 season is the month of August that year. Yeah. I think <laughs> 22 that <laughs> the month of august and i mean they were the 2012 made it look like the movie so, yeah, probably, <laughs> it um, crashed the same way <laughs> that's right they're already off to a better start against milwaukee they were three and 12 that year against milwaukee um they're already off to a better start so this team could be on on track to outpace 2011 that'd be exciting yeah, again, the NL Central is very down, and it certainly wasn't back then. I mean, the, the Cardinals and Reds were pretty good, and, you know, they, they always seem to have bad timing with things like that. And, and I think maybe that's another thing that, that kind of excites me this time is it looks like the whole NL Central at the same time is going into a rebuild. Yeah. And I actually think the Pirates are probably a year ahead of the rest of them. So depending on how things shake out and how, how many magic prospects the Cardinals find, like they always do, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how things go. But, I mean, the NL Central is going to be a, a wasteland here for a couple of years, and I think the Pirates could really maybe arrive early by accident. Yeah, that's okay. Right? Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad Absolutely. thing. So, what, what, One of my favorite new sayings is, is practice winning. You know, just yeah. practice. And, and play hard and fundamental baseball and and go out there and play nine innings every See, night. I can tell you've been home. cheating. I can tell you've been cheating on the Pirates with the White Sox because you're quoting La Russa now. I, I, I enjoy the White Sox. <laughs> my, my wife is a White Sox fan, so I, I, I watch them a lot. So I have a La Russa signed jersey. So I'm, I am a cheater. But that's one of my favorite new sayings. It's just kind of build that culture of, of winning baseball games and, and playing right. all 27 outs and and knowing what that means to to you know to to have that adrenaline and, and to win every night and know yeah. that you have a chance to win every night. I think that makes a huge difference. I think I've seen some signs in, in Derek Shelton this year that I, I didn't see last year. You know, last yeah. year, I, I know it was an evaluation season. We kept telling people it was an evaluation season, but it felt like he was almost going out of his way to lose games. And it was getting real hard to tell people they weren't tanking because, right. you know, he was making some really, really questionable decisions. And this year I'm seeing a lot more intent to win and, yes, you know, um, using his bullpen almost like he's, He's really trying to, to, to make sure this win is as important to you as it is me. And, and it seems like he's, he's buying in and feeding off of the team's energy. Yeah. And, um, and I, I like uh, even the way he handled Oviedo, like when he, he used him in that one game with the tie and, and he came out later and basically said like, ah, that's on me a little bit. I shouldn't have expected him to be able to come out after six games and, and, and show the same stuff he did before. I got to remember this yeah. kid's a roll five. He, pick. He's, <laughs> he's learning too, and and that's you know that's part of the process. You know, yeah, uh, yeah you know the, the and, and and it's exciting. They're they're learning together and, and winning and learning how to win together, and yeah. and that's exciting. That's a main difference from that last group, though. We talked yeah. about that 2011, 2012 team. We're talking about Clint Hurdle. Is very established baseball coach. He very set in his ways. He had done things a certain way in Colorado. It worked, you know, brought that same philosophy here to a team that literally had no structure. We were floating around. We went from what Lloyd McClendon to Jim Tracy to whoever else you want to Russell. Russell. I'd rather not remember Russell, but I mean, like, 
I know which, but you know, we, we had a coaching carousel. Nothing was, nothing was set in stone. We went from welcome to hell to welcome to Neil. Yeah. I think, I think that's exactly what happened in this town. And I think we're, we're on the cusp of seeing it again. But yeah. I think I'm going to borrow a little bit from each of you guys here. Cause Gary, I totally understand the concept of seeing this through the 2011, 2012 prism. I, I definitely see it mm-hmm. as far as potential, you know, future guys that can be cornerstones of this team. I kind of understand where Ed's coming from, just from the perspective of uh, also the collective perspective of the NS Central just being collectively down, because I think it's 2011, 2012, a little bit of 1997 sprinkled in there. Yeah, because right. the NL Central 1997 was just as horrid, and the Astros won, I don't even think they won 90 games to win the division. So that looked pretty terrible back then, you know, nearly 25 years ago. But I also mentioned this, and I thought Grace had a, a great point because this is something that was in the back of my mind before Greg's beat me to it by saying learning how to win because I think it's important. And Grace, by the way, you're not the only one cheating. Um, I watch a lot of I watch a lot of baseball this season, period. But yeah. I've watched a lot of Oakland recently because that hot streak they've just been fantastic to watch. But another team I've watched a lot of because I'm really curious about them and I want to see them for the exact same thing that I expect the Pirates to eventually do. I want to see if San Diego learns how to win because they have a ton of talent. they got a really smart front office. They've been really good with how they've been able to build an organization slowly. They found the young talent. They molded it up. They molded it up a bit. They're starting to spend a little bit to keep some of the corner piece guys around. And then they were creative in finding ways to bring pitchers in. Not to mention the fact that they made trades for guys and didn't give up a single one of their top 10 prospects. So what did they do? They built an organization, had so much talent that they had, they pretty much had talent to spare. They're a lot like Atlanta was 30 years ago. That's what I think back to, but they did the thing that I've I've called, I've beginning to call this my kids in pitching theory. They've built it with so much homegrown talent that all those guys have risen to the top together. And then whatever excess they had that they couldn't use, they moved it to bring back pitching. So now they got the kids on the one side of it. They got the pitching on the other side, but can they learn to win? That's the thing I look at too with that group. And it it does kind of bring me back around to the pirates as if to say, okay, can they figure this out in the next three to five years? Cause Gary's right. The NL central is not going to stay down forever. The Cardinals will be back. The Cardinals might be back in two months. It may not even take a whole year because they already went and traded for Nolan Arenado. And, I, and I, I love Key Brian Hayes. Don't get me wrong. I think the kid's supremely talented. The best third baseman in baseball right now is Nolan Arenado. And he's been that guy for like five years. Yes. I covered the, two, the two functioning wrists help. But it, I get that, what you're that saying. Too. But, you know, I covered, you know, minor league baseball in my previous stops in Arkansas. And I was covering the Texas League. And one guy I saw a lot of coming through with the Tulsa Drillers in the Springdale, Arkansas, was Nolan Arenado when he was in Colorado system. And he was one of the best players I'd seen then, and he's still one of the best players out there now. Look at you. Look at you going all Pierre Maguire on us over here. I got a a good list of Texas League alumni. Like, Greg Finley will tell you, if there's a list I can rattle off, it's Texas League alumni and SEC guys from 2012 to 2014. I got a bunch I can rattle off. I can tell you about Andrew Benintendi till the cows come home. Let me tell you. But I I say all that to say this, it's, it does come down to, and it's pieces of what each of you have said, like, I'll come back to that. It does come down to, can they learn to win together? And can Derek Shelton learn the things that he's learning pretty much on the job as a manager? I think the fact that he was a very successful bench coach in Minnesota, Minnesota had the best win percentage in the AL and no one talked about it. 
Yeah. Well, we yeah. talked about how good Minnesota was last yeah. year. Not was, not winning a playoff game in however many years is right. will do that to you. And, and right, honestly, Mike Tomlin. Yeah, well, that's a whole other conversation for a different time. But you know, <laughs> and, and I don't know how familiar you are familiar you are with Robert Harris from thirty years ago, but Derek Shelton was the man sitting next to the man in Minnesota. Yeah. That's how good that team was, and that's how much they gleaned from him. There are some people that would tell you he pretty much was the de facto manager because Rocco Baldelli was so new to the position and new to the responsibility right. that right. Sheldon had to teach him on the fly how to do yeah. it. It was a really great story. I believe it was in the New York Times about that. But it, it comes back to he still now has to learn some of those experiences as a manager. These players now have to learn some of these experiences having that opportunity on the field. And the fact that they have now – that chance to learn all those things together is a good thing. So, yes, it does feel like 2011, yeah, right. 2012. But I'll say this much. I hope it's not like that in the sense that when they get to 2013, 14, and 15, it hits that wall. And I right. think the guy that can prevent that from happening is Ben Charrington for the reasons I laid out before. Yeah, to me, the only way they hit that wall is if they try to be San Diego because I think they need to be a lot more like Tampa. I, that's what I want. Tampa yeah. is the standard that I want for this team. I want a Tampa. I want an Oakland. I heard a lot of people in recent years talk about the the Royals in 2016 and or 2015. And that's a good thing to talk about. But let's talk about what happened after 2015. Right. right. What did the Royals do after that? They kept everybody there. They didn't try to grow anything. They didn't really try to rebuild the roster and say, hey, let's try to make this a little bit more sustainable two, three years down the road. They just said, hey, let's bring back the band together for one more season. And everything yep. fell apart and they had nothing to sustain themselves. And now so they just I like to, the Tampa model. Now they just want to impress their new owner. Right. <laughs> right. right. And honestly, if that's where you're leaning towards, then right. your focus really shifted. I, I love the thought of a Tampa model where they say, look, we know we can't keep everybody. We know we can't pay to keep everybody. They've traded guys like Evan Longoria, and they've traded uh, they've traded David Price, and they traded Blake, uh, Blake Snell. They've traded guys that they know they could not keep, and yet they bring in more talent out of nowhere and they say, where did they get these guys from? They traded Carl Crawford, and he was yeah. probably the most popular Tampa Bay Ray that wasn't named Fred McGriff at one point. Right. They trade, they let that guy go. Yeah. Blake it, Snell just this year. I mean, it, it's, it's what they do. It comes yep. back around to you have to be able to be self sustaining in order to make that work. And yep. Tampa, I think, is really the standard for knowing how to keep your organization self sustaining. And I'll bring if, this back around to it again because Theo Epstein during Ben Charrington's time in Boston talked about wanting to be an Uber organization. He said, we want to be self-sustaining. We don't need to rely on just a big payroll and just bringing free agents and having big money guys. We can bring in players and develop them and become self-sustaining. And they showed that over a decade and a half before World Series championships. I right. think it speaks for itself. I, I mean, I call Tampa emotionless baseball because That's it is. And this this town is, um, you know, as Bob Smizek once famously said, it's a bobblehead town. And, and it is. And we want stars. And sometimes uh, you can't have both. I mean, you, you can have stars, but you have to understand they have a shelf life here. That's all. Yeah. And I, it, it's not as fun. I mean, like, you know, but if, if today was the economic system back in the seventies, Willie Stargell wouldn't have played here his entire career. And Very Roberto true. Clemente wouldn't have played here his entire career. And, and by the way, look around the entire league. Nobody plays anywhere their entire career anymore. It's very rare anymore yeah. Bryce Harper left Washington yeah and yeah. even Tatis won't finish his contract in San Diego I mean like it's it's just the way it is 
you know, and guys, we have had a long, great conversation about baseball and I always go on too long because I have so much fun, but um, I just like to say this show is all about showcasing how many fans out there truly just want to talk baseball. And the three of you were an excellent example of that. So I truthfully appreciate all of your time. And uh, I just want to give you guys one last shout out here. Ed, why don't you tell the good folks how to get a hold of you or hear what you have to say? Yeah, Sports with Jenks on Twitter. Um, and also you can start to catch us starting May 1st uh, on 103.9 KHB. It's uh, Jenks and Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Salou, who's our co-host. He's the sports editor with the Mon Valley Independent. Uh, we'll be talking sports from 7 to 9 a.m. Um, and look forward to having everybody join us. All right, and that can be heard in parts of Maryland, West Virginia, and Southwest PA, right? All the way down into Morgantown, um, all of Southwestern PA, Cumberland, Maryland. So uh, we'll talk some some WVU sports for you, Josh. Love it. All right, and Graves, I can't say how grateful I am for you to take time from your vacation for this. But uh, how do people talk to you, my friend? Gary, it was well worth it. I, I enjoyed talking with uh, Ed ed yourself and, and josh and it, it's been a wonderful conversation and and you can follow me at, at kg underscore 55 vftg on twitter and I, and I really mean this too if you honestly have roster questions that we didn't answer in this podcast please do look her up she knows i mean she knows better than most people that cover the team professionally and i truly mean that and uh josh how about you my friend um, it's pretty simple for me. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Josh Taylor HD. That's the best place to find me. Also, a small little plug uh, for those of us who like to read books, if you're a nerd like me, Pittsburgh Sports Firsts. It's a book that was written that came out this year during the spring. Uh, if you are interested in a lot of the history that has been made in the sporting world here in the, the Western Pennsylvania region, you want to check this book out. I wrote a couple of chapters in it. It's really, really awesome. So by all means, check it out. It's in Barnes & Noble. You can get it online at Amazon, too. That's great. I didn't know that. That's awesome. I'll check it out. So thank you, everybody. And hey, let's go Bucks. Have a great week. And-